Good morning. Today's reading is in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 6. Feel free to read along in a Bible you brought yourself, or one in the pews, or, uh, or, uh, or be blessed by listening. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit you are putting to death, but by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Father God, I am so thankful that you have given us the spirit of adoption, Lord, that you freed us from slavery, that that uh, as you say in my favorite verse, Galatians 5.1, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, let no one put a yoke of slavery upon you again. And, uh, and Lord, I, I just want to thank you that, that those who know Christ, which a, a knowledge is available to anyone who will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, Lord, that anyone like that is, is, Lord, a redeemed child of God. And, Lord, has your spirit in you, not only marking you for the day that, that Jesus comes back, but also giving us the strength to live a life obedient to you. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your holy word, and in the preaching of the same. Uh, thank you for uh, our Pastor Steve, who loves you, who loves us, and who loves your word. I pray that you'd put in his mind and in his heart what you'd have him teach us. And Lord, give us ears to hear so that we can take to heart um, what we are going to hear today. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here on this Lord's Day, this Sunday morning. What is given us? 
watching the weather last night. You probably might have seen this, too, if you watched the weather about this. It says extreme drought. You look at the state of Florida, there's this red part, and it's, it's Hillsborough County, northern half of it, up into Pasco, Hernando. Extreme drought, and it's one of the worst, I think, in the last 20 years. Well, sometimes our hearts get dry, and that's why we have this time here, because God never wants us to have a dry heart. I mean, you know, you go to my house, and a lot of houses, the grass is not doing so good. But anyway, we're here because God wants to feed our hearts. He wants our hearts to be refreshed by the truth of his word. And, and this morning, it's a kind of message. It's similar to the one last week, but sometimes I feel inadequate. It's really basic, and it's fundamental. It's foundational. It's essential. One that I don't think I've ever shared anything really like last week or this week, but we need to have it. I say, Lord, I don't think I can adequately share this, but I'll do what I can, and you've got to do the rest. So I trust the Lord will help you understand these truths, because again, they're essential. You can't, if you, you can't really, really live the Christian life if you don't understand what we're talking about today. And last week, and again, in the next couple weeks, too. So anyway, let's begin. We're talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. The Gospels and the Epistles have much to say about this, about what it means to be saved by Christ, your new life in Christ, what it means then to live for Christ. Last time we talked about your old self being a crucified old self equated with the body of flesh. Old self was crucified, the body of flesh then was circumcised, and then you were given a new nature in Christ. That verse, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and new things have come. And so now you can share, and this is what's amazing. You can participate in the life of Christ. You have the divine life of Jesus Christ in you. That's what you have. And so now you can live like Christ and live for Christ. Live like a child of God, like God wants you to be, and not then like a child of the devil, which is what we used to be before we were Christians. And so your, your new self then lives, but it lives in what's some people call this unredeemed humanness. And this unredeemed humanness still has these desires and these tendencies to sin. I believe you all know what it means to be tempted to sin. And yes, we all fall to those temptations. None of us here are perfect yet. We all know that. And that's, that's difficult. It says there in, in Galatians 5.17, uh, it states this obvious fact. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So you may not do all the things that you please. And so you understand this as a Christian. There's a struggle in your heart, this temptation, this, this opposition. You want to do what's right. And we read this last week, but then you do wrong. And Paul talked extensively about that, the last part of Romans chapter 7. Really must verses to understand because it will help you identify with him and really all Christians. And so your new birth in Christ then brings death to your old self, but does not bring death to your temporal flesh, and again, it's desires to sin. Now, we talked last week about how you are in Christ. We said this is your spiritual location. We talked about how all of you understand clearly your physical location. Right now, you're in this church building, or you're in a house, you're in an office building, you're in a car, in a store. But what's most important is, is, of course, your spiritual location. So always remember that. Wherever you are at physically, remember that you are in Christ spiritually. That's, that's, that's what you need to know. And this is an amazing truth because it means that you're safe and secure. It means you're protected. It means you have purpose. It means then that, that you are going to be blessed by Christ. 
You can know Christ, have this close relationship with him, and all your needs will be met. Many verses talk about this being in Christ. This is a, this is a classic one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Are you in Christ? So you have all the blessings you need. You have everything you need then to live the life that God wants you to, to experience here on this earth. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. But there's much more to say about your relationship with Christ. Turn to John chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. John 14, 17 to 20. Let's start with verse 16. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, we understand Jesus was sharing this that night before he was crucified, not long then before he took off for heaven. And he wanted to tell his disciples, you know, hey, you need some help. He wanted them to know that he was not going to be with them any longer, but he wanted them to continue to do the work that he wanted them to do, and they would need some help. They would need this Holy Spirit. So that's, that's what he's saying there. And he's saying that he'd be with them through the work and life of the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 20 here. It says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Those last two phrases, I mean, there's really three phrases. And some of this is, again, what's he saying? He talks very simply, John does, but sometimes his, his, his thoughts are so deep. And we could probably talk for days. What's it mean for Jesus to be in the Father? And then that next phrase, which we talked about last week. You and me, that is, we are in Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what that phrase says. But this next phrase that we're going to focus on for the first part of our message is, I in you, Christ in us, I in you, okay? Well, what does that mean? And this is extremely important. This is relevant for each one of us as Christians. And so Christ is in us. And we just saw in verse 17 that, that the Holy Spirit is, is in you. And so Christ is in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. We all understand that makes sense. It's logical because Christ is a physical being. He's not in us physically speaking, not at all. But he's in us through the Holy Spirit. That's what we understand. That's what these verses are saying. And others would basically say the same thing. So it's a powerful truth then, that, that these, all these truths, that we are in Christ and he is in us. And, of course, then Christ is with us, too. Colossians 1.27 says this, The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Mystery, one way to say it is that this did not happen during the Old Testament times, but it was a mystery that it was revealed during the New Testament times by the apostles and the prophets. And the mystery is that now Christ is in us. Christ is in us. Galatians 2.20 been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse is powerful, I and mean, we should probably just look at every phrase sometime. But the point here I want to say is, is Christ lives in you. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. And so, so the life you now live is by faith in Christ. 
by depending on Christ, by believing in Christ, and to live his life in you through the Holy Spirit. That's how you should think. You get in the morning, Lord, I want to live for you, but it's got to be your Holy Spirit doing that. That's, that's how we should think. That's how we should live. And so you should want to live a Christ-like life, right? That's what you should want. You should want to think and say and do what Christ thinks and says and does. And so the life that you live then, this is important, is not about you. You watch TV, you go on social media, you know, all these influencers out there. Life is about people and about me. Look at me and see me. Life isn't about you as a Christian. We, we sang that song, Colossians 3, your life is what? Hidden in Christ. That's what it is. It's hidden in Christ. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's not about you, about Christ and his life. Philippians 121, Paul says so simply, profoundly, to live as Christ, not self, not anything else. To live for Christ is not about having fun or pleasures or food or fame or relationships or work, any of those things. To live is, to live is Christ living in and through us. That's what we're talking about here. It's not by how you feel. This, this culture is so much by feelings. I can't believe it. By feelings, by how you feel. That's one of the biggest things of what it's like 50, 60, 70 years ago and today. People go by how they feel. It's not by how you feel, but by faith. By faith. By submitting to Christ and living the, the life that Christ wants you to live, no matter how you feel. Ephesians 3.16 says this. In fact, turn there. I want you to see it in your Bible. I, these are all written on the notes, but I want you to see this. Ephesians, this reminds me of Galatians 2, just one of those loaded verses, two verses, Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. And Paul is praying here for the Ephesians. He says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. Man, there's like six or seven just great, phenomenal points, truths that we need to understand as Christians. But let's just look at one basic thing here today from that verse. This tells us again that Christ is the one who lives in you. And it's by the power of the Spirit. You must see that you can't live your life by yourself, by your own power, by your own wisdom. It must be by the wisdom, the power, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the way it's got to be. That verse that I've shared many times, John 15, 5, says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sometimes as a Christian, I get frustrated, but I realize, hey, I'm trying to live this Christian life in my own power, and it doesn't work, and you will be frustrated too. Very obvious, man, you're, you're just discouraged, you're bummed out or whatever, you know, you're struggling, and it's got to be the Spirit. It's got to be God's Spirit living his life in us. I'm not going to uh, read that portion again, but that Romans, and Jeff read this, that portion in Romans 8. I, I mentioned last time that, I, it's just so many times, that that is the chapter, especially the first two-thirds, more than any other section of Scripture that, that talks about the Spirit. I think it's over 20 times. Spirit, 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 that's it. And again, it's the talks in those verses about the Spirit living in you, therefore Christ lives in you. And so, as verse Galatians, Ephesians 3 says, Christ lives you in you by faith. And again, as, as a Christian, you're, you're not going to usually feel Christ living in you. I'm not going to have an extensive discussion about this, but you probably heard that phrase, you know, 
uh, my time with Christ was a mountain-type experience. I felt like I was in heaven. And I've had times like that. And I, and I can't help but that you as Christians have had times too. Man, you just feel really great. Man, the Lord is with me and I'm energized and couldn't get any better. Those things happen. The minority of the time. And so I don't want to, at times I'll say, go, don't go by feelings. Don't go by feelings. Okay? I'm not trying to dismiss the feelings that God through his spirit and through Christ gives you sometimes. I'm not trying to dismiss that or say that's not true. But we must live our lives by faith. That's what's important for us. You have feelings, but you should, your feelings shouldn't be the reason that you do something or don't do something. It shouldn't be, feelings shouldn't be that which li- drives or leads your life as a Christian. Again, mature Christians have learned not to go by their feelings rather go by the truth of God's word. Again, I'm not ignoring feelings, and yes, God gives them to us, but we must, by God's grace, live with them as he wants through the Holy Spirit. And so you're to live your life by God's spirit, by his word. You're to walk by faith and not by sight, and and how that really takes place is by having God's word and knowing God's word and believing God's word and meditating on God's word. That's what you need to do. And you need to learn. Let me just say a couple things real quickly about this. You need to learn how, need to, in, in the quietness of your home and in the quietness of your heart, think about God's word. This is, this is where it's got to start. You're in your home or someplace where it's quiet or taking a walk, and you're thinking about God's word. You're actively meditating and going over this maybe one phrase. You know, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Just think about that one phrase. What does that mean? You're just going over it back and forth. But here's the challenge. Here's a challenge when you're out in public. You're in a busy place. You're a noisy place. Can you then at that time bring God's word back to your mind? Here's, here's a challenge that, that is for me is I, I go swimming pretty often. And, and one thing to do is play music. And so they'll play this song. I'm not song, but some song that I know from maybe back in the 60s or 70s. Really popular. And, and I liked it. I like it. Man, it's a good song. I'm going along. That's the challenge. Can you then at that time think about God's word? Or can you then at that time get that out of your mind so you can sing a Christian song? That's the challenge. You see? You know what I'm saying. You've all heard songs. Oh, that's a nice, fun song, and I like that song. Is God wants us. And I'm not saying you can't listen to songs like that at all. I'm not saying that. But what's most important is God's word, God's truth, God's spirit living in you. And so... Ask God to help you. I've often said that's one of the most important things for your life, meditating on God's word. Matthew 4, 4 says, You shall not live on, 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 on you shall, what does it say? What's it say? You shall not live in, as a man does not live on bread alone, but upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's it. It's not, it, that's it. It's, it's living on God's word. And so Ephesians three seventeen then says, Christ is, is to dwell in your heart. This is, of course, spiritual. Christ is to be dwelling in your spirit and in your heart, and your spirit and your heart is referring to the innermost part of your being. And, the, and it's to affect everything. Everything. It's to affect your soul and your, your motivations, your, your thoughts and, and your words and, and your actions. So you see the importance of Christ living in you because it affects everything that you think, say, or do. And read about being grounded in love. This is essential, that you're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, that you know 
the love that Christ has for you. Turn to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Critically important, my wife is had this, this lady's brunch in another week, and so her little Bible study portion is on the love of God, the love of Christ, all these verses. Very important. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Very important, then, that you are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Rooted. I like that word rooted. I was trying to plant, trying, I am, I hope I'll succeed today or tomorrow. These, is it pentas? Is that what they are? Pentas, okay. Nice little flower. And, you know, the, the little flower thing, the plastic thing, it comes in about that, about six inches. So I'm digging in the front yard. There used to be an oak tree. You know what I'm getting at. Okay, now they came with the grinder and grinded out the stump, but not too deep. And so... Sometimes I'm digging, because i got about, man, I don't know, 10, 15 plants there. I don't know how many. Sometimes I'm digging. Oh, great. i got dirt, 6, 8, 10, 12. This is great. Other times, 4 inches, I'm stuck. This is, this is, you know, root down there. Now, if I was Giovanni or Ralph, and I probably needed to ask Giovanni or Ralph, how do I get that root out? You know, I'm just sort of sitting there with a spade trying to get out. It is really stuck. And I know what Mark 4 says, you know, it talks about the seed in the soil. That's the one where, you know, it says that it's rocky soil. You know, and, and the ground is hard. That is, you can plant it in the soil, but it doesn't go down very far. So I said, man, I can't do this. I can't plant this, this plant and this dirt where there's this big chunk of wood down there that I can't get. What am I going to do? So, Giovanni, you think about it. You tell me later how to get that out because I really feel a little stuck here. So, anyway, so the point is God wants us. And, I, and, I, and you've all seen plants, right, when you take them out of that little plastic thing and, and all the roots, you see the roots. That's a beautiful sight. Man, look at these roots. I love looking at roots. Look at these roots. And then I loosen it up a little bit and I put it in the ground. And, and the whole point is that that plant's got to get rooted in the soil. It's not going to grow otherwise, right? It's not going to. And so, too, we need to be rooted in the love of God. The roots of your heart going into the love of God is absolutely essential. And if, if you don't know and believe Christ loved you, then you cannot live in the way that God wants you to live. It's just not going to work. This is essential. It's foundational. You'll be spiritually empty. You'll be spiritually dry. And you'll be one. You won't be motivated. You won't be excited then to live the life for Christ. And Christ lives in you then so he can show you his love and so you can know and experience his love and so that you then can pass on his love to others. And that's we read that in the Ephesians 5. Walk in love. Walk in love. That means you're to be loving people as you go through life. That's what he wants for you. And so Christ then lives in you so you can live like Christ and talk like Christ and walk like Christ and do Christ's work. Many, many verses. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. I could give so many examples. I just want to give you this one here of what's it mean to live like Christ. And these are just a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 20. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, the love of, of Christ controls us. You see the foundational nature of the love there so we can then do what God wants. 
Having concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to him, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Understanding there the motivation, the love of God, understanding that who we are, we're new creatures in Christ, and then therefore we have this purpose. We are to be ones who see ourselves as ambassadors, one who are witnessing, living our lives for Christ. And so, this first part here, we've just talked briefly, and it's Christ in you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, that's the first part. Now we're going to shift to a, another whole facet of, of Christ. And this, then, is, is about your relationship with Christ. We're going to talk about knowing God and Christ and having this relationship. And what you see when you—and I'm going to say this in general here as we start— what you see as you look at the epistles, primarily so, is that, that knowing Christ— is really the same thing as having a relationship with him. Oftentimes we talk about this knowing, you know, in our culture, and it's what you know in your head, you know, you're smart, you know, all these things. Knowing here, what we're talking about is knowing is a relational thing. That's what we're saying. Sometimes you'll see knowing, you'll, in fact, you'll see knowing Christ a lot more than you'll see relationship, but I'm going to try to put them together as we move ahead here. We all know the importance then of having good relationships with people. We know that. What's most important then is having a good relationship with God and Christ. That's what's most important in life. John 17, 3, familiar verse, This is eternal life that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So we, we, we talk, again, a lot about what it means to be a Christian, but fundamentally what we're saying is that means you have eternal life. A Christian is one who has eternal life. And, and that should not be a dry phrase. That should be an exciting. I've got eternal life. I've got life, meaning this relationship with Christ eternal, meaning that it lasts forever. I've got a personal, eternal relationship with the living God. That's what I have. That's it. That's so, so encouraging. And so this is what's important. You, you go to Luke 10. I'll just read from there the story of Mary with Jesus. Martha was there in the kitchen, we know. Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Just that picture, seated at his feet, listening to his word. Wonderful picture of what we should all be doing. Not that you have to sit down when you're with the Lord, but just the idea of submission and humility. And, hey, you're the master, and I'm just, I'm just a person. That was Mary. It says later then in that, those few verses, only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Only one thing. Only one thing. Isn't that? You think, well, there's a lot of things that are important. Nope, only one thing. Because if you know Christ, everything else will flow from that. If you have a good relationship with Christ, everything else, that is the foundation. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's why I encourage everybody to get some time with the Lord every morning, whether it's five minutes or ten or an hour. Get some time. Start your day that way. That's, that's what I would suggest. Turn to Psalm 63. Of course, I would, I would suggest to you that David is the single 
best example of one who had a relationship in the Bible. I mean, Paul had a great relationship. That's, that's true. But there's so much in the Psalms about David, and he is given to us as an example. That's why I read Psalms every morning. Psalm 63, 1 through 5. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. He seeks God. He sees God. He sings to God, and he's satisfied by God. Very, very important. You look at those again, but a wonderful example of relationship that God wants us to have with him. Turn to Colossians 2, back to the epistles. Colossians chapter 2. Again, we're talking here about your relationship with Christ, knowing Christ. Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 3. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not personally seen in my face. Struggle is another word for prayer, desperate prayer. That their heart, here's the prayer, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full understanding of a full, full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. So that's, that's the heart of this prayer here, that they know Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 17. Another prayer of Paul's similar to this. 15 says, for this reason I too have heard, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Again, it's what you do have to know in your head, but it must translate to your heart, Okay. Sometimes just people say, oh, it's just heart knowledge. No, you've you got to use your brain. God gives your brain to think, and, and hopefully that thinking then by God's spirit processes to your heart. This knowledge of him, that's what we're talking about. Both these passages, Paul is praying for the believers that they have this knowledge of God, this relationship with God, and that's because it's what's most important for our lives as Christians. He goes on in the, in the verses following. He talks about praying for power and praying for hope. But first here is this knowledge of God. Philippians 3 8 through 10, a similar section. I won't read it, but you can go there and read it yourself. Paul says, The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing value. It's, it's, again, it states it so clearly. It's much more important than any, else, any other thing in the whole world. Surpassing value. And as Christians, if you're sitting here today, says, man, I'm a Christian. This is wonderful. I have all this. I all this. And, and part of my, my, my thought here is, is we don't want to be ignoring God. We don't want to be ignoring Christ, this relationship that we have with him. We should be excited the fact that we have been born again, that God has revealed himself to us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's, it's worth it. It's a valuable thing to know Christ. What's most important is not money. It's not having a good job. It's not having good friends. It's it's, 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 it's not being wealthy. It's, it's not being intelligent. It's not being even healthy, okay? It's not that. 
None of those. You can say, well, I, I don't feel so good. I've, I've got some problems physically. Okay? We all have some problems physically. So what? If you know Christ, it doesn't make any difference, right? It does not. Overriding, surpassing the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, no matter what is going on, no matter my circumstances, this is what God wants for us then. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This relationship with the Lord. To mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Right away you see that equating, right? Maturity relates to knowing God Knowing Jesus Christ, that's what it is. Now, there, there's many principles here that relate to your relationship with Christ. And so far, we've talked about your relationship with Christ and how it's an individual thing. And this is true. Each of you here need to know Christ in a personal way. Like Jesus with Mary and Jesus and Paul. Remember what Paul said again in Philippians 3, verse, I want to know Christ. That's his example. That should be our heart. And we say that I say it. Somewhat blandly here, but might you in your heart say it with desperation, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's so, so important. We're talking about the church and how as a church, as the body of Christ, we need to know Christ. As a church, we need to know Christ. We're talking about knowing Christ then in a personal way and as a spiritual family. That's what we're saying. Both are important. Both are true. What do these verses tell us then? Just a few different points. First of all, gifted members of the church are to help you grow in your knowledge of God. That's what we see. Pastors and teachers are given to us to help us get to know Christ, help us grow in our knowledge of Christ. Pastors and teachers should be ones then who talk about Christ, who teach about Christ, who are are exemplifying by their example then the, the life of Christ and the love of Christ. That's what they are to do. Pastors do that. If that's not happening, there's something wrong. There shouldn't be a pastor. Pastors should talk about Christ, live like Christ, be an example of Christ, okay? That's, that's very, very important. Second, we're attained to the unity of the faith. God wants us to be united, and a key component of being united is that we all know Christ. And that, and this is important, together, growing in our knowledge of Christ. And, and I, I, I would say that's probably true with us who are here, that through the years— you know, I've been going at this for many years now. Through the years, we are growing together in our knowledge of Christ. Teaching the same things. You're all hearing these same things. And you're, God's helping us as a church, individually, but also here I'm talking about as a church, growing in certain truths, really, really important truths. This is, this is what God wants for us here. And this, again, happens as we know we talk about Christ with each other. We share what Christ is doing in our life as we are together then experiencing the life and love of Christ that's what we're saying. <clears throat> Turn to Ephesians 3, 18 to 21. I, I stopped at verse 17 before, but I want to continue on now. Verse 17, the end says, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You see what it says? It's so obvious. 
that together we comprehend as a church, as a spiritual family, the love of Christ. And that's where fellowship comes in. That's where getting with somebody or on the phone or email or whatever, or at, you know, our fellowship time after the service here. That's where this comes in. You talk to people and see how they're doing and, and maybe they're discouraged and you share how God's helping you and the love that God's given you or truth from his word or, or vice versa. Read about equipping the saints for the work of service. So it's important then that we see that knowing Christ and having this relationship with him is not separate from everything else. It's not something that stands all by itself. It's not like I'm in my home and I got my relationship with Christ and that's it. And no, it affects everything. It does. You, you can't help it. If you know Christ, you'll love Christ. And if you love Christ, you'll do the work of Christ. If you don't know Christ, you won't do the work of Christ. What I'm saying here is that knowing Christ and having this relationship with him results in you doing the work that he wants you to do. That's what we're saying very simply, very clearly. I think you all know that. That is, that is, you need to know Christ and have this good relationship with him if you're really to serve him. People who aren't serving Christ don't have a good relationship with Christ. I can't say it any other way, okay? That is knowing Christ and his love for you is that then what should motivate you then to do what he wants you to do. And so, knowing Christ and having this relationship with him is, is, is the key to the growth of the church and to the unity of the church and to the body of Christ being built up and us then doing his work and us then, then fulfilling the purposes that he has for us. It is, is foundational. Knowing Christ, this relationship is foundational to everything about the church. And as you serve Christ, as you do the work of Christ, then you'll even grow more in Christ because what happens, and I'll read the verse in this just in a second, as you are serving Christ, as you are obeying him, then God himself will reveal himself to you even more so. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Verses that say, if you love Christ and are doing his work, then he will love you even more so and disclose himself to you. That's powerful. Some people then don't have a strong relationship with God because they're not obeying God. That's all. Very simple. The other verse, 23, says, says we will come. It's, they're very similar. I've read it before, but I'll just state this one part of the verse. We, Jesus said, the Father and I, we will come and make our abode with him. Isn't that wonderful language? We're, we're going we're gonna to abide with him. We're going to abode with him. We're going to be together and have this relationship with the Father and the Son and this individual because we obey him. So, powerful. Now, the last part here, I'm going to go somewhat quickly, but... There's three, we talk about knowing Christ in general. What does Christ, what does knowing Christ specifically mean, okay? So I'm going to just go through these. What does it mean to know Christ? First, it means know who he is. Secondly, it means you know what he's like, his character. And thirdly, it means you know what his purposes are. So through each of these. First, it means, it means knowing that he's your savior, that he saved you from all your sins. It means knowing he's your Lord, your master, the one who is to direct your life. It means knowing that he's your creator, that he himself made you. Fourth, it means knowing he's your judge, not meaning that you as a believer, that he'll judge you for your sins because Christ did that 2,000 years ago, but that he will judge you for how you live your life and reward you then if you live your life for him. That's what it means. There's a judgment 
All of us. I was reading in Amos yesterday, 4, and uh, it says, prepare to meet your God. And he's talking in the context about unbelievers. But, boy, that's heavy. Prepare to meet your God. Every person in the world who's ever lived will meet God. Judgment time. For us as Christians, it'll be, in general, a joyful time. Okay. That relates to a verse in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm not going to look at it now. But, but for the unbelievers, whoa. Prepare to meet your God. Talked about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. So, knowing Christ, who Christ is, affects your relationship with him. We're talking about growing in your relationship with him. It's important then to know who he is. Okay, all these things I just mentioned, there's more here. But it, but it results in then, in what? In you're going to fear him. If you know Christ, you'll fear him, and you'll be humble, and you'll thank him, and you'll love him, and you trust him. Knowing who he is is so, so important. But knowing Christ also means you know what he is like. You know his character. You've already said that it means you know that he loves you. What else does it mean? A, few ver- a lot of verses. I'm just sharing a few. Matthew eleven twenty eight says he's gentle. That's the verse that says, Come to me, all you who are weary, have laden, and I'll give you rest, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. He's gentle and humble, which means he's approachable. You can go to him and talk to him and open up your heart and tell him what's ever on your mind. Colossians three twelve to 13 says he's compassionate, kind, gentle, patient, forgiving towards you. Again, this is what he's like. Next, Philippians 2, 1 says he's encouraging, consoling, and affectionate towards you. Luke 5 says that he's holy. Jeremiah says that he's just and he is righteous. Revelation 7 says that he's wise and powerful and glorious and eternal. All these things, all these qualities of Christ, this is, this is what he is like. These are, there are more as, aspects of his character. But the point is that Jesus is your Lord and he is perfect for you. Do you know that? He's perfect for you. And so you need to get to know him, who he is and what he's like. And then you can live in the way that God wants you to live. You can experience all these aspects of his character. That's what's important. So, so even in terms of application, well, let's look at a little study. You know, what is, who is Christ? And secondly, what is he like? And I'm just giving you some examples. Finally, there's one more thing. Knowing Christ's purpose. I like how the verses in Matthew talk about that. I, I sum it up in three ways. Build the church, that's Matthew 16, 18. To evangelize the world, to share the gospel with the world, that's Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, go make disciples. That's what it is. Three primary purposes. To, 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 to build the church, to share the gospel, and to make disciples. Now, we're not going to go through all these, but the point is, as a Christian, are these not your purposes as well? Of course. You're a child of God. You're part of the body of Christ, the church. These are your purposes too. And in the context of the church, then you are to do your part. And I say that because, and I've talked about this before, every person has got a different spiritual gift. Nobody is alike. And oftentimes your gift's a blend. Okay, it might be one prominent gift, serving or something or helping or teaching, but it blends with others. And you are to use your gift for the betterment of the church. Some people have the gift of faith. They pray. That's a good one. I, I, I like that one. <laughs> I want people to be praying for, for, for the church and, and for all of us, for us as leaders. Very important. So you to do your part. I want to just f- close here with Romans 12. Well, a couple verses. First, go to Romans 12. 
just read these verses here because it's talking about what I just said about being ones who know the Lord and then serve him. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's that meditation I'm talking about. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to experience, exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, his service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Finally, one more verse. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Just a couple more verses. We'll finish with these. Jeremiah chapter 9. Talk about two main things today, Christ and you. And you having a knowledge of God and Christ that is growing in your relationship with them. And I like how it says it here. This is the end of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. Boast then that you know the Lord. That's what to boast about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We just bless you for bringing us here together. Two basic truths. You, Lord Jesus, living in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, us knowing you, having this relationship with you. These are so paramount, so essential. Lord, I ask that you would help each of us here, wherever we're at in our Christian life, and those who are listening on, watching on, Lord, that you'd help us to get to know you better. That we'd have that heart of Paul, I want to know Christ I also understand what it means then for you, Christ, to live in us by the work of the Spirit because we can't live this life on our own. It's got to be through you. But, but thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for what you've given us. I just pray we wouldn't, as it says in one verse in the, in the epistle, epistle, I think, we, or maybe it's Hebrews, we should not know, neglect such a great salvation. Here we are saved, and what an amazing thing. And way too many Christians neglect it. Neglect it, or don't understand it, or into the world. They're conformed to the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of their minds. So we ask you, Lord, to help us here in this church and those who are listening on. God, help us to be ones who love you, know you, and growing. And do you a mature Christian, a mature church, is one who knows you, one who loves you, one who's doing then the work that you want us to do. Just thank you for the ones here. Thank you for ones who couldn't make it. Pray, Lord, that you would help those who aren't feeling good. Lord, I thank you for Bethel. Pray for them, their church, and lead them and all the plans, the work that you have them to do. But, Lord, lead us from here. Protect us, God. We're in a spiritual battle. We need you. So thank you again for your great love for us. Might we then love you and love one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name.